Good morning, church. It was good to see y'all this morning. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. It's good to be with you on this Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to talk more about what that means. If you're wondering what the heck that means, we're going to talk about that today. Uh, so uh, along with Reagan Gilliland, who's another associate pastor here, no relation, no, uh, we're married, um, we get to co-pastor this worship community called Thrive. We're glad you're here with us today. Uh, be sure to let us know that you're with us and how we can connect with you. Hello to those of you who are joining us online as well. Glad you're with us. And uh, if nothing else, we hope that uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, we hope that you find that it's true that, that our mission is loving all people in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that we express that through our actions as well as our words this morning. So um, we are finishing up a seven-week-long sermon series we've, we've been in called Recover, where we've been looking at the 12 steps uh, through uh, the lens of faith uh, in this season after uh, Easter. And if this is your first Sunday joining us, uh, you came on a, on a great Sunday, because uh, this will hopefully inspire you to go back and listen uh, to the other messages. Maybe you're wondering why in the world we're talking about recovery and 12 steps, um, because maybe you're somebody who's never struggled with a, a traditional addiction. Um, and the reality is what we've learned these past seven weeks is that recovery really involves all of us. All of us are broken in a whole host of different ways, and, and all of us need recovery. Uh, and we believe we find that recovery here at Lover's Lane through a personal relationship with Jesus. And so that's what we've been talking about. It's been good for my soul uh, to be in this spirit in this season of Easter, just getting back to basics of why it is that I need Jesus in my life. Uh, and so I hope that you've found this to be as compelling a series as it's, as it's been for those of us who've been creating it. And today we finish up, step 12. Woohoo, here we go. Uh, last step, uh, but it's a big one. That's why we're going to just talk about step 12 today all on its own. It says this, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Having had a spiritual, so there's sort of three parts to this, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So we're going to talk about this in light of today also being Pentecost Sunday. And what, what Pentecost Sunday is, is it's the day that the church was born. It's the day that the Holy Spirit descended on. And we're going to read that, that story that comes to us from the book of Acts in just a moment. But it's that story, that day that we remember the moment when the church really came alive for the very first time in the wake of Jesus' ascension into heaven. And so we're going to study that story this morning, and, and we're going to ask ourselves how it relates to this 12th step in the recovery process. And so uh, we're going to turn our attention to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And as you're finding that on your phone or opening up in your Bible, it's also going to be on your screens. Um, the book of Acts, you can think of as uh, the, the sequel to Luke. It's the same author that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the, the, the book of Acts is essentially the sequel to that book, and it tells the story of the early church. Uh, and, and in chapter 2, it tells the birth of the early church. And so uh, we're going to use this as a guiding scripture for us today. Before we read it, though, we're going to pray, because we believe here at Lover's Lane that scripture is a holy and living text, and that we need to invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of our reading of it this morning. So let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for today. We give you thanks for your spirit that is with us. 
We give you thanks for this journey that we have been on in the 12 steps. And God, we simply ask that on this Pentecost Sunday that your spirit would show up as we know it already has. That your spirit would be made apparent to us that we could see that you are moving amongst us. That we could remember who it is we were meant to be as the church. And that we as individuals could remember who we are meant to be as the people called the church. So God, make this text that we're about to read come alive for us this morning. Allow it to leap off of the screens and off the pages of our Bibles and into our hearts that they might change the way that we live. All this we pray in the name of your resurrected son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you'll see it on the screens. Here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. Cool imagery. Uh, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? All right, pray for me. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. The word of God for the people of God, let us say, thanks be to God. So something really cool happened this past week or recently in the world of archaeology. Uh, They discovered amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls a brand new or brand ancient uh, manuscript of uh, the book of Acts that is in near perfect condition. That's a big deal. And and the cool thing is, as they've begun to read it, uh, there's not a whole lot of differences between this manuscript and the other earliest manuscripts that we had. This one's even earlier than those, Um, except there is a big difference in Acts chapter 2, the opening verses that we just read. Uh, There's a lot of differences there, and so the scholarly world is kind of a buzz with this. Anytime you get a new manuscript in your hands, it's kind of a cool thing and uh, there it's not going to make its way into a translation of a bible in stores very soon because these things take time but do you want to hear what the what this new manuscript says in acts chapter 2 it's pretty neat says this when the day of pentecost had come they were all scattered throughout town some had arrived early to serve as door greeters at the house but most arrived about 15 minutes late blaming the sunday morning traffic Some chose to stay home entirely because it was kind of cloudy that day, and they could always catch the sermon on the next day's scroll. But anyways, the Christians gathered at the house, grabbed their coffee, and took their seats halfway through the singing of the second psalm. 
And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. This was greatly disturbing to those gathered as violent rushing wind was nowhere to be found in the church bulletin. Then divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. Some of the church members began to check their watches, though, knowing this meant the service would end up going along, and they had lunch plans to consider. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability, which greatly frustrated the preacher, who had worked entirely too hard on that week's sermon and no one was listening. At this point, the choir director noticed they were way off script and politely asked the Holy Spirit to leave. The word of God for the people of God. Yeah. So, okay, obviously there's not a new manuscript of the Acts chapter 2, uh, but that feels like it could be the Pentecost story today. Um, I think it's important, as silly as that may sound, I think it's important for us to remember our own origin story each year because the truth is what the church is today can so frequently be far off from who we were meant to be oh so long ago. You know, place yourself in, in that house on Pentecost Sunday. Like, place yourself in this little house, and there's a violent rushing wind, and there's flaming tongues resting on people, and people are talking in different languages. I mean, this is a wild experience. I'm afraid that after 2,000 years of remembering it, we've kind of forgotten just how wild the Pentecost experience really is. You know, there's no band, there's no lights, there's no sound system, there's, there's you know, no organ or fancy sanctuary. Uh, these are just simple people in a simple home with simple prayers who are met by fire and wind and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it changes everything. Would we even recognize the Holy Spirit if it moved amongst us in that same way today? I mean, I'll be honest, we got a lot of really polite Methodists. I think we would freak us out, right? If that happened today, we'd be like finding the exit. We'd be worried that it's too uncontrollable, too supernatural, and we would want to go find something that was comfortable and tame. I'll confess, it would, it would freak me out if I saw a Pentecost kind of experience. And I began thinking about the, that this week, and you know, I, I worry that the church that we have in America in the 21st century today has turned into, in many ways, kind of a sleepy, normal church. A sleepy, normal church. First, let me explain what I mean. So, the first thing, the, the, the church was never meant to be normal. Right? Now, the church can feel real normal today, but the church was never meant to be normal. The early Christians were defined by the ways in which they lived and loved in, contrary, in contrast to the surrounding culture of the time. They didn't just give their tithe to the local temple as much as the priest told them to. They gave everything they had, sold off all of their possessions to make sure that nobody in their community went without. You know, they didn't just bow to the altar of personal glory like people in the Roman mythologies. They didn't bow to the altar of religious exclusion like some in the Jewish tradition had begun to. Instead, they, they preached this gospel of grace that was open and available to all people and was about all people. Much like the recovery communities that we see today, they didn't care about who people were or where they were from or how broken their stories might be. All they cared about was they wanted to invite people into a faithful relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that could lead them in a wildly different pursuit of their life. The church was not meant to be a normal place full of normal people. It was meant to be weird. 
And Pentecost is a really weird birthing experience for what is meant to be a weird church. Do y'all want to be a weird kind of church? I think in some ways we are kind of a weird. I'll be honest, y'all are kind of weird as I look out here right now. There's a lot to this place that doesn't make sense, but I think we could get weirder, don't you? I think, in some, I think we could. I hear chuckling right now, but I mean, I, I think we could be the kind of church where people walk in and go, whoa, this is different, but in a really good way. Second, the church was never meant to be sleepy. Man, we're good at sleepy church. We're really good at sleepy church. Not us here at Lover's Lane necessarily. I mean, we, the royal we. I wonder what Jesus uh, thought when he founded the church. You know, when he looked at Peter and said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. When he founded the church, knowing full well that one day, 2,000 years later, this movement that he was starting was going to become this sort of monotonous, uh, mandatory, spiritually dead part of a lot of people's week, much like picking up the dry cleaning or mowing the yard, Right? I think there's a lot of people that treat church like picking up the dry cleaning or mowing the yard. Jesus spent his life in, of ministry inviting people to consider faith not as an obligation but as an opportunity. People were used to an obligatory faith. He was asking them to see it as an opportunity, to see the world with fresh eyes, to experience life in a new way of being that found infinite meaning in every moment, to wake up. But that kind of faith is dangerous to the way things are, because it invites people to wake up from the easily controlled monotony that is life as we know it. Do you ever feel like every day is just kind of going through the motions? Faith is supposed to help us solve that. But so over two millennia, we can make the mistake of allowing church to be as monotonous as the life that Christ is calling us out of. We sing the same songs, we say the same prayers, we do what we're supposed to do week in and week out, and we're lulled to sleep by a world that honestly would prefer to keep it that way. It's so easy to get bogged down in the busyness of church work that we can forget that the church has the potential to be the spirit-led force for good that ushers in the kingdom work of God. The church was not meant to be asleep. The church was meant to be awake. And Pentecost is that waking up moment. If tongues of fire don't wake you up, it is that waking up moment that we needed to set our hearts and our souls on fire so that we could preach grace to a world that captivates the heart of God. So the first thing I know this morning, Pentecost experience reminds us that church should be weird and awake. Say weird and awake. Okay, well, I know you're awake and I'm pretty sure you're weird, so that's good. The church needs to be a place where weird is a way of life and where our faith compels us to show up eyes wide open in the world. So this, after this opening passage, the author continues by telling us what happens when the spirit shows up in a house of worship. People take notice, right? There's this huge crowd that the author describes of Jews from all over every nation known to the world at that time, their world as they knew it. It says, now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard, and each one, of, each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? And it continues by saying, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. So as I, I was thinking about this, this portion of the scripture this week, um, a movie came to mind for me that I felt like really captured the thematic elements 
of what we're witnessing. I mean, this is like, this is a really powerful scene to me. And, and, and there's this movie that came to mind. I'm speaking, of course, about the cinematic masterpiece that is 1995's A Goofy Movie. God, that was a great year. That was a great year. That was peak civilization right there. Um, now, I know that it's a little cliche to reference a goofy movie in church on Pentecost Sunday, but just bear with me, okay? Now, who has actually seen a goofy movie? Anybody? Hands up. Four of you. Awesome. This is the best reference ever. I love it. I love it. I, no, I love this. This is fantastic. This is what I was hoping for. So the basic plot is this. Goofy is a single dad, right? And he's raising his teenage son, Max. And he plans this incredible road trip through the American Southwest that he's going to take Max along. And Max, for some reason, thinks that his dad, Goofy, is super embarrassing, right? Gorsh, right? I did this whole thing just so I could do the impersonation. I've gotten pretty good at it over the years. So uh, in the movie... Uh, Goofy's son, Max, is a huge fan of this pop star named Powerline, and he ends up giving his dad, now this is like the really, he gives his dad the wrong directions while they're on the road trip, right? Oh my gosh, talk about conflict, wow. And uh, they end up, so he leads them to this Powerline concert in L.A. and not to like the Grand Canyon or wherever they were supposed to go. It's a movie that's got comedy, it's got drama, it's got romance, and in the end, Goofy and Max discover that maybe the real road trip was in their hearts all along right? Roger Ebert's review praised it saying the screening was free. So uh, anyways, at the movie's climax, Max and Goofy are at the Powerline concert. This is going somewhere, I promise you. Uh, and they're finally seeing how much they love each other as father and son. And then we hear these lyrics in the pop star's hit song, which says, which we cannot play for copyright reasons, I'm sure, because it's Disney and they, well, yeah, it's Disney. Uh, when we listen to each other's heart, We'll find we're never too far apart, and maybe love is the reason why, for the first time ever, we're seeing it eye to eye. All right, it's cheesy, I know, but stay with me. In the Pentecost story, we find that the early Christians are blessed with the Holy Spirit to speak in multitude of languages, languages they do not know to people they've never met, and yet they're all able to understand one another. It's this really supernatural, again, weird kind of moment that for good salt-of-the-earth Methodists living in Dallas in 2019, it can feel totally foreign. Like, how does this even happen? In fact, uh, in the Methodist church, we don't have much of a history with speaking in tongues, and we don't outright deny it as a gift of the Spirit, but we don't really pursue it in worship either. Um, so then what do we make? At Lover's Lane, what do we make of this gift of the Spirit and its work in our lives today? What do we do with that scene? I was sitting in men's prayer breakfast this past week. Men's prayer breakfast, quick plug, gathers every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. over in the Copeland House. All men are welcome. It's a super great group, uh, and we just sit and we talk about Scripture and life, and it's fantastic. So if you're looking for a way to connect with other guys, meet us over at the Copeland House Wednesdays at 7 a.m. We also eat breakfast, breakfast tacos recently, say amen somebody. So um, we were at Men's Prayer Breakfast, and, and uh, one of the guys who was there, our own Rusty George, who's the director of facilities, and he basically keeps everything running around here, he says this. He said, maybe they weren't literally speaking the other languages of the people around the house. Maybe they were just speaking, maybe they were just praising God in the language of love, and everyone knows what that sounds like kind of nice when you get to steal from your congregants to write your sermon. Uh, that was good. That was really good. It was so good that I was like, I'm stealing that. 
you and I may not ever have an experience where the Spirit descends on us and we get to speak some unknown foreign language with perfect accuracy, but could we be led by the Spirit to speak in a language of love and praise in a way that is compelling regardless who hears us? Could we speak in the language of love? As Powerline says in the Goofy movie, when we look into each other's heart, we'll find we're never too far apart. It's really good. You should go see it. It's this message of overwhelming wind and fire love that speaks throughout all people and crosses every barrier. Because here's the deal. Folks outside the house might not speak the language of church. And if we go outside the house and we try to speak the language of church, most folks are not going to understand that. We got weird language in the church. Y'all knew that, right? Like, sometimes I have to remember that that we talk funny in the church. We have weird words. But they will speak the language of love. Folks outside the house may not speak the language of church, but they do speak the language of love. There's one church I know locally that understands how to speak the language of love really well, and they put that on display this past week. And that church is Oaklawn United Methodist down the road here in Dallas. And their senior pastor, Reverend Rachel Bachman. And, and yesterday, they, last night, they welcomed in uh, 55 mothers, fathers, and children who are seeking legal asylum as they flee their life-threatening realities in their home countries And facilities at the border are getting overcrowded. You've probably heard about this. And so um, people seeking legal asylum are now being sort of sent off to other neighboring cities. Dallas is one of them. And um, and Oaklawn opened their doors uh, to receive these people in, to make sure they had necessities covered, and to make sure they could get to their family sponsors uh, in in a safe amount of time. They're only going to be, they'll only be at Oaklawn for a handful of days. Um, But for those 55 family members and, and all the people who love them, who know them and love them. United Methodist Church is going to be a name that means sanctuary in more ways than one. And, and though we may not all speak the same language, I don't know all the languages that Reverend Bachman speaks. I don't know all the languages that her congregation speaks. I know our congregation speaks a lot of languages. Even though we don't speak the same languages necessarily, um, we can speak the language of love, and, and that's transcendent. And it's something that those families and their loved ones will not soon forget. So anyone who finds themselves facing one of life's mountains, whether that be asylum or the pain of addiction or simply the frustration and struggle of an average week, we know what it sounds like when we hear the language of love in our life. When we hear somebody speaking to us in a way that is grace-filled and spirit-led, we know what that sounds like. And it's the church's call to speak that language for all people outside of the house to hear. So then this passage, this, this uh, scene comes to a close with kind of a funny ending, right? Uh, I don't know if you caught it at the end, but um, it, it says this. There's these sort of cynical people watching on. It says, all were amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, you know, what does this mean? You know, they're kind of murmuring in the crowd. And there's these others that are kind of standing there and they sneer and they said, they're filled with new wine. Right? Uh, which another translation would essentially be them saying, they're drunk, Right? That's what they're saying. Um, it's a sobering reminder of a really simple truth that we have to remember as we seek to get outside the walls of the house and to invite others into recovery like we've experienced through Christ. Here's the truth. If you're following the Spirit, some people are going to think that you've lost it. 
if you're following the Spirit, some people are going to think that you've lost it. The Spirit is going to lead us to do things that are not going to seem normal. It's going to seem weird. The promise of Pentecost is not that all who hear our testimony are going to be convinced by it. If you've walked through recovery personally, or if you've walked through recovery with someone that you deeply love, you know that recovery only truly begins when that individual decides that they are ready for recovery, right? It has to be their choice. And this can be a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of us as we carry this message outside the walls because uh, it can feel like an indictment on us or on our message. Am I not good enough? Am I not persuasive enough? Was my testimony not powerful enough? Why aren't they listening, right? But we have to be really careful as we engage in this important work that we don't pick up the crushing burden of the Savior complex. Does anybody else struggle with the Savior complex? I can raise my hand high. I'm not ashamed to admit that. That's really hard. If that's, if that's been you at certain times or even right now in your life, can you say amen? Yeah, that was quiet. It's, it's hard. It's hard because it, it, there's usually a lot of pain associated with that. Because those of us who struggle with the Savior complex, and I would argue everybody does at some point, um, the reason it's a struggle is because there's someone that's really close to us that we love a whole lot and we can't fix them. And that's really hard. That really stinks. And it stinks most when it's somebody who's most close to you. The Savior complex says that it's up to me to be the saving grace in the life of those whom I love and come into contact with. It's, it's my job to save them. That's dangerous. The reality is, folks, that you can be a person with the highest integrity. You can have the most compelling message the world has ever known. You can speak so clearly in the language of love, and there are going to be people in this world, even people that you deeply love, who are going to think that you are drunk or crazy or that you've lost it. Or they're just plain not going to hear you. I think it's safe to say that Jesus was the best preacher and evangelist the world has ever seen. Yeah, he did pretty good, right? 2,000 years later, pretty good evangelism strategy. And Lord knows he had his heaping helping of scoffing masses who wrote him off as just another crazy person. The reality is there are some people who are so comfortable with the way things are, even if the way things are is incredibly broken, they are so comfortable with the way things are that anyone who threatens that equilibrium is written off as nuts or just simply not heard. We'd rather dismiss the person challenging the life that we know rather than allow ourselves to consider what it would mean to live in a new way, a new or different way. And so I want you to take heart because I think sometimes we, we rev people up and we say, okay, go share the message, and we miss this really critical piece that I want us to hear. The, the 12th step doesn't say, notice what it says. It doesn't say we carried this message to alcoholics and saved all of them. It says we, we tried to carry this message. So I want you to hold these two things in tension this week as you go from this place. I want you to know that it is our job to carry the message of recovery to the broken, and it is not your job to save everybody. It is our job to carry the message of recovery to the broken. It is not your job to save everybody. It might not even be your job to save a person that you love very deeply. That's hard to accept, but there's grace in accepting those two truths. So I want to close noticing that the 12th step ends in this way. It says we tried to practice this or these principles in all our affairs. We tried to practice these principles in all our affairs. It's not people that save people. It's the grace of God that saves people. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that saves people. 
And walking with Christ in recovery is not a one-time event. Pentecost is not a one-time event. We experience that daily when we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. And walking in recovery is a lifelong journey that requires daily attention and prayerful determination. And the people that I know who are in recovery have told me that there's one prayer in particular that really helps to center them when they take up the mantle of recovery each and every day, and it allows them to have every day to be kind of like a mini Pentecost as the Spirit comes in again. The Serenity Prayer was originally written by theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. Reinhold, that's a good name. Should we go with Reinhold if it's a boy? You sure? That's a good one. I like that. Reinhold Niebuhr. And this prayer, the serenity prayer, was eventually adopted as the mantra of 12-step ministries across the globe. It it says this. I want you all to listen and, and listen good. This is so good. God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. The courage to change the things we can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Can we say this one together? Let's say this together. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I hope you will take that prayer with you and carry it as you go. I hope that you'll carry it deep in your heart. It's a simple prayer that has the depth to carry us our whole lives long. Perhaps it's the greatest response to a Pentecost experience by taking up the sacred art of prayer and discerning how it is that God is leading us to leave, right, live, leading us to leave and live, yeah. Full of fire and new wine, intoxicated by the Holy Spirit, sober and awake to the work of God in our lives and in the world, praising and preaching in the language of love, trusting that it's God's redeeming recovery that will reconcile the lives of all of God's broken and beautiful children. I hope that you've enjoyed this series of messages as much as I have. Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, as we prepare ourselves to respond in this moment of worship and as we prepare ourselves to be sent beyond these walls beyond the walls of the house and into a community from every nation speaking many different tongues some of whom have heard of you before some who have bad experiences of life in the church and some who have no experience or knowledge at all of the faith that we proclaim. God, may we undertake this task with all humility and with grace. Grace for those not with us this morning, that we could proclaim your truth in the language of love, trusting that all who hear that know it when they hear it. God, let us also have grace for ourselves. I know there are people with us this morning who want desperately to save the life of someone they love. And knowing that we are limited, knowing that we can't be the saving grace for everyone we love, that can be so hard to handle, God. 
But God, when we release ourselves of the responsibility to save the world, we can be about your work to bring about that saving grace. We can trust you, not only with ourselves, but also with those whom we love. Knowing that your grace is expansive, it's limitless, it rains down on every beautifully broken child of yours. And so God, we go this morning from the words in the book of Acts with a simple prayer upon our hearts. We go praying, God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things that we can, and Holy Spirit, the wisdom to know the difference. All of this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, empowered by your Holy Spirit.